Hello, and welcome to the PBPA podcast. I'm your host, Sarisha Gunta. Before I introduce today's guest and topic, I'd like to tell you, our audience, a bit about the Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta. PBPA strengthened our community by engaging volunteer attorneys to provide nonprofits with free business legal services. For more information on who is eligible to be a client or to apply for consideration, visit our website at pbpatl.org. Our website also has tons of resources, including articles and webcasts specific to Georgia nonprofits and their business legal concerns. And please keep in mind that this podcast is general information. It's not specific legal counsel. Contact your attorney for guidance on your specific questions. And now in this episode of the PVPA podcast, we'll be talking about back to school. As Georgia schools are starting a new academic year, either virtual, in-person, or in some combination of the two, parents and their employers are once again faced with trying to figure out childcare leave. To answer some questions about this topic is today's guest, an employment attorney and principal at Stanton Law, Todd Stanton. Thanks for joining us today, Todd. You bet. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to help you guys do good work, and I'm glad you're out there. So let's start off by talking about the Families First Coronavirus Act, or as we'll refer to it during this podcast, ICRA. Todd, remind us about the leave options that FICRA provides. Sure. So FICRA came out in the third week of March, right as things were really starting to implode around and the, the magnitude of the shutdown at the time was starting to be at least anticipated. Uh, Congress very hurriedly passed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which among the two things that are most important to employers and certainly the topic of this podcast today were the employee paid sick leave portion as well as the Emergency Family Medical Leave Act portion of this. The ultimate takeaway from this is that companies that have fewer than 500, up to 499 employees, have to offer this, in essence, paid leave to any employee who is employed. There is no durational employment requirement like there is under, say, the Family Medical Leave Act. So this is a big change from what's out there. And it's also one of the first federal laws uh, to mandate that the employers provide paid leave to their employees. So there's two portions of this uh, that will total, at the end of the day, up to 12 weeks of paid leave for qualifying employees. And that's broken into two sections. One is the EPSL, which provides up to two weeks of paid sick leave for one of six conditions, or one of six circumstances, I should say, three of which relate to the employee's health, that they have been quarantined, uh, that they've been advised by a, a healthcare provider to isolate uh, and quarantine, or that they are experiencing symptoms and seeking a medical diagnosis. So if you have an employee who meets one of those three criteria, uh, they're eligible for up to 80 hours of paid sick leave, capped at $500 a day for that two weeks. Um, that leave can uh, generally not be used intermittently. They can't take off for part of the time. They have, to, they have to use it all at once. If they are taking care of somebody who has been told to quarantine, or if they are, uh, their child is 
daycare, their regular child care is not available, they also qualify for this employee paid sick leave. If the care is for uh, somebody else, if the time away from the work is because of somebody else's COVID-related matters, then it is the pay is capped at two-thirds of their regular rate up to $200 per day. So much less of a benefit if it's not the employee who's actually uh, subject to the quarantine. So once that two weeks expires, if the leave is necessary to care for a son or daughter whose uh, place of care is closed due to COVID-19, the sick leave continues. The paid portion of the sick leave continues for at least up to another 10 weeks. Uh, and that's also capped at $200 a day or two-thirds of the regular rate of pay. So at the end of the day, if you have somebody who is out of, uh, out of work because they have to take care of their child, they can get up to 12 weeks of leave. If they are, if it is a, their condition or if they're taking care of an adult spouse or a parent or anything along those lines, uh, it's only up to two weeks of, of paid leave. Is this in addition to any regular leave policies above and beyond the time off that was offered pre-COVID? Yes, two things. Number one, the FICRA, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, specifically says that employers are not permitted to modify uh, previously uh, available leave plans. Uh, and they also, furthermore, cannot force uh, employees to take their other types of leave concurrent with the FICRA leave. So for instance, under, under traditional FAMLA, under Family Medical Leave Act, as everybody knew it uh, prior to the apocalypse, a company could compel a, an employee to take their regular PTO concurrent with their Family Medical Leave Act leave. And that's not, that's not available here. So this is, uh, these qualifying conditions are on top of, as you said, uh, the leave that was already available to them. And Todd, what's the best way to communicate these leave options to employees? Uh, that's a great question. The first thing that we need to do is make sure that we, as an employer, we've complied with the, the notice requirements that are part of the law. So on the Department of Labor website, the posting is available. Uh, that needs to be put where your other workplace posters are, are posted. Even if nobody's in the office, go ahead and put it up there. Um, I would encourage employers to email that notification, both in the link and in a PDF form, to employees to make sure that they uh, are aware of their rights, that the law requires that uh, employers make employees uh, aware of that. And I think that it is important, not only because it's the law that employees know these rights, but to help employers explain the very limited nature of the relief that's available. Uh, a lot of rumors are going to be flying around about what paid leave is available, about how to exercise it, uh, about what rights are there, and making sure that as an employer we're communicating clearly what those expectations are and what those rights are uh, is going to, in the long run, make for a better relationship taking the time to explain it and help the employee understand what their obligations are, turning in the proper paperwork to be reimbursed on the tax credit, uh, how long it's going to last and under what uh, the limited conditions. More information on this has been better uh, as, as folks are trying to utilize this leave. And so what should a nonprofit do if an employee requests ICRA leave during this fall semester? Well, that's going to be divided into two things. We have to dive into the reason why the employee uh, thinks that they're entitled to this paid leave. If it is simply that I'm scared of COVID and I don't want to come to work, well, that's not going to trigger any of these, uh, any of these criteria. If it is my 
child's school is still closed, generally speaking, you can ask the employee to provide the information that shows that they are qualified for this leave, that the school is closed, that their daycare is closed, that the childcare is uh, not available because of a COVID-related reason. It used to be that the Department of Labor said that you could ask for that in advance of the leave. Uh, a judge last week in New York said that's not the case, that the employee is entitled to the leave um, and the, the documentation can follow. And that's fine. It's not that big of a change, even assuming it applies here, which is another story. But generally speaking, the employer is going to need to collect from the employee uh, the documentation that justifies their need for that leave. And that's very important because the employer has to front the cost of this leave and pay that up to $200 a day, two-thirds of the regular rate of pay for each employee. But the IRS and the, or the federal government has said you will get a tax credit on your next quarterly payments to the IRS. So on the quarterly payments that employers make, if the employee has a qualifying need for leave, they will be able to take a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit against what they owe to the IRS on their quarterly payments. Um, the IRS will then look at that documentation and say yes or no, you can or can't take the credit. So to your question of what should a nonprofit do if the employee requests that FICRA leave, it's make sure that you get the documentation sufficient to take that tax credit uh, on your next round of uh, quarterly withholdings. Would a nonprofit need to grant FICRA leave to a new employee, um, like someone who just started, for example, with the organization in July? Yes, uh, there is no, like I said earlier, there's not a durational employment requirement for these employees. So if an employee comes on board, absolutely they're entitled to this leave from day one. The question is going to become how many hours of this uh, leave are they entitled to here? And the, the, if it is a part-time employee, um, it's going to be different based on the number, the average number of hours that are worked for the first two weeks, that sick leave portion, as well as what they were hired to work. General full-time employees are entitled to 80, and then it's prorated down from there. But yes, they are going to be entitled to this leave from day one. And what if an employee's child has the option to go to school in person, but the employee opts for virtual school? Since the employee opted out of school supervision, would the employee still be eligible for FICRA? Well, their eligibility for FICRA, the answer to that technical question, this is why people hate lawyers. The, te the technical answer is yes, they're going to be eligible for it, but they're not going to be awarded it in, this in, in that instant. Because that child's school is not closed or the child care provider is not available, then they're not going to qualify because of their decision, reasonable or otherwise, uh, to keep that child out of school. Right? What's the employer to do in that instance is the natural follow-up to that. Um, I think it depends upon the nature of the position and the nature of the employee, right? If it's a solid employee and one that they need to make happy and keep on board and it's critical, then I think you have to make the accommodation to stay to keep that employee happy, whether that's uh, mandatory paid leave or voluntary paid leave or some sort of stipend or something along those lines. Uh, I think the employer has to make it available. Otherwise, uh, you're going to leave your, your good staff with a very difficult uh, decision about whether they come to work or, or leave their kid at home. And I, I don't think that's viable. And I don't have great answers. Nobody comes to, uh, at least to me as a lawyer, for their moral guidance, right? But I think that employers are going to have to have to make the decision about what sort of employer they want to be. Parents 
caught in that otherwise intractable situation of uh, childcare and, and their job. And one final question, what about employees who no longer have sick relief available to them? Either they may have already used it all up or they don't have enough leave left to cover the amount of time um, that their children are being virtually schooled. Todd, what should an employer consider in that situation? So the first thing we're going to say is remember that there may be other types of leave available, not just FICRA, right? So there's, we still have regular Family Medical Leave Act leave available. We still have uh, Americans with Disabilities Act uh, leave available. So if it's actually them with uh, contracting COVID, uh, there, there still might be uh, leave options, unpaid leave options available. Um, if they've exhausted that, which it's natural that it will if they used some of the leave uh, at the end of last school year or some of it over the summer as their camps were canceled, it's a very uh, a real possibility that people have exhausted it. We're back to that whether they qualify or not. These laws set the floor for what employers can offer and not necessarily the ceiling. It is not uncommon that companies are having to figure out how to reduce the reduce the amount that they're paying these folks to keep them afloat, uh, having them work remotely if that's possible, having them work uh, alternate shifts around that child care. Um, it's time to get creative when it comes to how to help these parents who don't mean to be absent from work, but they really don't have a, have a choice. I think that the, the cliche of it, we're all in this together is probably appropriate here. I would say that as we're making these uh, more generous accommodations, uh, outside the scope of what uh, the law uh, provides uh, to make sure that we're documenting these things uh, and getting credit, memorializing what it is that we've done such that when it comes time that we don't have an option and we might have to separate some of these employees, um, that it's clear that the employer did everything it could and simply can't continue to absorb paying people not to work. So I think that, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it is going to take uh, a compassionate an understanding employer and candor and goodwill from the employees in order to find that solution. Um, I will tell you that the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, like uh, most employment laws, uh, are employee friendly. And employers are going to have to choose whether or not this is where they choose to the hill to die on uh, with respect to, to letting go an employee. Um, in my experience, 95% of employees go to work, try to do a good job, collect their paycheck, and, and do good service to their employee, the employers. And it's about 5% of the employees who are going to cause problems. And it's come up a lot where the, the employees who seem to be taking advantage of these, of the FICRA, just like any other employment law, tend to be the 5 percenters. And employers need to understand that, but choose whether or not this is where they're going to pick that fight and fire somebody over a FICRA case, which is, again, a pretty sympathetic circumstance, instead of maybe accommodating this and then picking another another place to stand your ground. Bob, this was all such great information. On behalf of PBPA and our clients who are working so hard to navigate these challenging times, uh, we really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. And to our audience members, Thank you for joining us for this episode of the PBPA podcast. Be well, everyone.